Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. This is a story of controversy. In fact, actually more than one controversy. It's a story of medieval kings and queens, of revenge, and of a letter that could change what historians have long thought was the true story of King Edward II's life and death. Let's talk about the theories that have developed over the years about the circumstances surrounding Edward's death, including one that points to maybe, possibly, blackmail. Or maybe not. Stick with us while we try to sort that out. True or not, it's an interesting new theory challenging an old historical truth. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. The story of King Edward II's death is hard to pin down. Not just how it happened, but when and where and how. Let's begin with highlights of his life before we talk about the mystery of his death. Edward was born in Carnarvon Castle in Wales on April 25, 1284, to King Edward I and Queen Eleanor of Castile. In a strategic move intended to tighten the relationship between England and France, he was married to Isabella, daughter of King Philip IV of France, and the two were crowned together at Westminster Abbey when Edward was 23 years old. The couple had four children, including a son who went on to become King Edward III. Edward II has been described as, quote, tall and strong, a fine figure of a handsome man. We know from historical records that he had a strong interest in outdoor activities, in particular rowing and horse breeding. 
We also know he kept a camel at his palace in Langley and that he also had a pet lion, which he took with him on campaign to Scotland. He liked listening to music, in particular the organ and the well-stringed instrument known as a kroof. But when it comes to his reign, well, that's most often described as disastrous, and many historians regard it as perhaps the least successful reign in English history. As king, Edward II faced humiliating military defeats, political crises, and a civil war. He was accused of being weak. His political enemies accused him of sodomy, which was then considered an act against morality. Some argue that the king's downfall was also, at least in part, because of his relationships with his favorites, Piers Gaveston and Hugh Despenser the Younger, who were rumored to be his lovers. That's a rumor that over the years has been interpreted as fact by some historians and as fiction by others. But regardless of that debate, what is important about those relationships was that these were two people who had very significant influence over the king. And that influence led to resentment and conflict within the noble class, as well as from his wife, Isabella. Their marriage deteriorated over time, and Isabella ultimately began a new romance, more like she formed a new romantic alliance. She eventually, and it will come up in this story, partnered with a man named Roger Mortimer. Roger Mortimer was a wealthy and prominent lord, a marcher lord from the Welsh marches, the area along the border between England and Wales. So a quick mention here, we're going to be talking about two people with the surname Mortimer, so we'll be referring to this Mortimer as Roger. Roger became disaffected with Edward II and joined the growing opposition movement against the king. In 1321 and 1322, in the company of other marcher lords, Roger led his first rebellion against the king. It likely will not be a surprise to hear that warrants for Roger's arrest were issued in March of 1322. He was captured and imprisoned at the Tower of London for his involvement in that revolt, where he was to serve a life sentence. But in late July, or possibly early August of 1323, with the help from Gerald de Alspe, who was likely a valet of the Tower's constable, Roger had the warden's dinner wine drugged. And while the wardens were incapacitated, he escaped the tower. Within 48 hours, he was in France, although he was pursued by warrants for his capture, dead or alive. Roger is a very big character in the king's life and possibly in his death. Queen Isabella arrived in Paris about a year or two later, after Roger, as her husband's ambassador to the court of King Charles IV, who was her brother. Upon her arrival at the French court, Roger became her chief advisor. Now, we know the two became lovers, though historians can't agree whether their affair began in England or in France. What matters is that Isabella decided to align herself with Roger Mortimer, an enemy of her husband, and together they planned a coup that resulted in King Edward II's deposition and possibly his death. In September of 1326, Roger and Isabella launched an attack on England. The king tried to rally support, but people had little faith in him as a leader. Edward fled, but was eventually captured in November, along with Hugh Despenser the Younger, near Clontrissant, South Wales. Edward was imprisoned in Kenilworth Castle, while Hugh was taken to Hereford, where, in front of a large crowd, he was hanged, beheaded, and drawn and quartered. Edward was forced to abdicate the throne, which passed to his son, who then became King Edward III, on February 1st of 1327. 
Edward III was 14 at that time. That April, the deposed king was transferred to Berkeley Castle. The young King Edward III, though, was not technically ruling, at least not yet. Isabella and Roger Mortimer ruled until 1330. That's when, at the urging of his and his father's allies, and just days before his 18th birthday, Edward III ordered Roger to be executed by hanging for assuming royal power and for other high misdemeanors against the crown. This is also when he banished his mother. Unlike his father, King Edward III went on to be one of the longest reigning medieval kings. His reign lasted 50 years. Most historians agree that Isabella and Roger Mortimer's extramarital affair lasted for at least four years. They ruled together, and they made themselves incredibly wealthy. But when it comes to accusations against Isabella of ordering the murder of her husband, many historians seem to agree that may be unsubstantiated. Roger, though, had his hand in a lot of nefarious activities, many with the intention of keeping Edward II off the throne. Many theories about the king's death include Roger, including one where he hired assassins to take care of the business. But there are lots of theories to talk about, including one that grabbed our attention for its blackmail potential. Before we get into that, though, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will talk about how the king's death was recorded in the official record and how a letter added a new perspective to the case. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. 
Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome back to Criminalia. Though there are records that report Edward II died at Berkeley Castle, there's a lot of disagreement regarding how it happened. Let's talk about the common story of the king's death and the departures from that. The traditional historical view regarding the end of Edward II's life is that he was imprisoned and then murdered at Berkeley Castle on September 21st, 1327. As you're about to hear, though, that is just one story. Another you may have heard is salacious and horrifying. That is that he was subjected to a horrifying death by having a red-hot poker inserted into his rectum. That one was and is by far, because of its sensational nature, the most popular telling of his murder. It is still told today, although historians today don't consider it to be the true cause of his death. While his death on that date and in that castle appears to be vouched for by a large body of evidence and recorded material, no one actually knows the details, and that leaves room for a whole lot of what-ifs. Edward's cause of death was not officially stated, and remaining today are conflicting theories about that. Hundreds of chronicles reported the death happened, but they all based their writings off of one source, what's considered the original source, the Brute Chronicle, also known as the Prose Brute which is the collective name of a number of medieval secular manuscripts that trace the history of England. If the Brutes compiler got it wrong, then so did all the copiers thereafter. A lot of people would have written about the king's death, including all the chroniclers and copiers, but royal clerks would have noted the death, it would have appeared in official accounts, and really, any other persons concerned with the safekeeping of a king would have marked his demise. Many of the chronicles do report that his death occurred at Berkeley Castle. So let's take a look at some of the ideas of how it may have happened. According to historian Ian Mortimer, note this is our second Mortimer, 
The earliest chronicles of Edward's death, including the account in The Brute, state that he died of a grief-induced illness. The Scala Chronica, written between 1066 and 1363, chronicles the reigns of Edward I, Edward II, and Edward III, and accounts that Edward II died, quote, by what manner was not known, but God knows it. After 1330, records begin to state that he was murdered by strangulation or suffocation. Between 1332 and 1337, the narrative again changes. At that point, chroniclers began writing that Edward II was murdered and went an additional step, naming the murderers, those being his custodians in the castle, Sir Thomas Gurney and John Maltravers, two people who happened to be in the pocket of Roger Mortimer at the time. But then, the chronicle written by Adam Murimuth, which was first issued in 1337, writes that Maltravers and Gurney did not suffocate the king, and that the accusation was actually just a, quote, common rumor. It seems like a lot of causes of death, and there's still more. It's right around 1340 where the stories of Edward's death begin to include a component of that commonly told story of his murder, that detail with the red-hot poker, Some refer to it as a copper rod, some say it's an iron rod, and then at some point it morphs into an iron poker. But at the same time, there are also continued accounts that the king's death was natural. And additionally, not all chroniclers got the date of his death correct. They name it as any time between September 20th and 22nd, so there's a lot of different and conflicting stories, and it makes this very difficult terrain to traverse. But there's a more recent hypothesis that suggests Edward II may not have died in 1327 at Berkeley Castle. This theory suggests Edward escaped his imprisonment and lived in secret for another decade or so, eventually dying of natural causes. And this is because of the discovery of a document now known as the Fieschi Letter, of which a copy was found at the end of the 19th century in a bishop's register in a cathedral in the south of France. The letter, addressed to King Edward III in 1337, was written by a Genoese priest named Manuele Fieschi, who was a papal notary and a member of the influential Fieschi family. Its contents describe how Edward escaped and that the body buried at the Gloucester Cathedral was actually that of a porter of Berkeley Castle. It includes the details of Edward's whereabouts years after his alleged death, including England, Ireland, France, Germany, and Italy. This letter is controversial, mainly because it exists. It is estimated to be dated based on related evidence to the late 1330s. It's not decades or centuries removed from its topic. It is also not a forgery. It does include a decent amount of circumstantial detail that jibes with known facts, but it also contains some information that experts consider to be false or at least questionable. Historians are not in agreement over how this letter fits into Edward's narrative, Edward II or Edward III, and many are still deciding what to think about its content and its impact, if any, on what we thought we knew about the end of King Edward II's life. The letter begins with the historically accepted story that Edward II fled to South Wales after Roger Mortimer's invasion of England, and that he was apprehended and then imprisoned first at Kenilworth Castle and then Berkeley Castle. According to Fieschi's telling of the story, though, when the deposed king heard that he was to be killed at Berkeley Castle, he swapped clothes with a porter. In this disguise, he was able to breach the gate and escape the castle. 
This narrative continues that Edward went on to Corfe Castle in the English county of Dorset, where he remained for about a year and a half. Fieschi then describes how Edward stayed in Ireland for nine months before crossing to the Low Countries, through France and into Italy. If the narrative in the letter is true, the deposed king lived the rest of his life in monastic hermitages near Cecima in the Diocese of Pavia in Italy. The mention of Corfe Castle is interesting, and here's why. Edmund of Woodstock, Earl of Kent, the younger half-brother of Edward II, was persuaded in 1330 by an anonymous friar that Edward was still very much alive and that he was at Corfe Castle. Eyebrows raised right as this follows the letter's narrative. Edmund had acted as both a diplomat and a military commander under his brother's reign, and hearing this news, he began efforts to find Edward II and restore him to the throne. It was all, though, an act of entrapment, and Edmund was executed by beheading for high treason in March of that year. It soon came to light that it had been, wait for it, ah yes, once again the villain of the piece, Roger Mortimer, who was responsible for deceiving Edmund and then ordering his execution. Roger Mortimer plays an interesting, albeit sinister, role in both of the king's stories. Some historians have a different theory, that the contents of the Fieschi letter might have been based on an interview with a person known as William the Welshman, which is problematic, actually, because William, it turns out, was a royal imposter, and he impersonated King Edward II. Even for those who believe its authenticity, the motive for writing the letter, however, seems somewhat suspicious to some experts. And we'll come back around to William in a moment. To be fair here, no one is entirely sure that this was a case of blackmail. But there's a possibility, an interesting twist to an old story, which is why we wanted to explore it. To be perfectly clear, this is not a document that's well understood in how it fits into both of the Edwards' lives. Even the experts have many questions about what its contents really mean. So what takes this document from normal, everyday correspondence to the question of whether or not it's blackmail is that some historians believe it reads kind of like a blackmail letter. How so, you may be wondering. Well, their point is it doesn't read like, Dear Edward, you might want to know your father is alive and well and living in Italy. He's been there for years. Rather, it's considered to have a different kind of vibe, one that's more along the lines of, we know the secret that your father is still alive. Dun, 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 as in we know your secret <laughs> that the father, your father is still alive. Some people hear it that way, but who exactly was being blackmailed if this was blackmail? At first, most of us would assume it's Edward III. Of course, the letter was addressed to him, but... There's a question of whether he was really the intended victim. There are actually a few possible blackmail scenarios that historians talk about. Some admittedly pretty weak, but the one that sticks is this one. Keep quiet about your father's faked death and his whereabouts or suffer whatever consequence, etc. Alternatively, some historians think that perhaps the true intent of the letter was to undermine Edward III's reign and his position at the imperial court. But then, like a lot of what we've been saying about a lot of things, perhaps not. So there are a lot of questions about the meaning of the letter and the possibility of blackmail. And modern historians have plenty of thoughts on the topic. 
Before we get to their theories and explanations, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. And then when we're back, we'll talk about the Fieschi letter through modern eyes. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Criminalia. What if known Edward II imposter William the Welshman wasn't actually an imposter, but was the real deposed king? Kind of mind-blowing, right? Let's talk about it. A few historians have supported and spoken out about this new didn't-die-in-Berkeley-Castle narrative. English historian and author Paul Doherty, for instance, has questioned the credibility of the Fieschi letter. But regardless of that, he has also stated that he has suspicions that Edward II may have survived his imprisonment at Berkeley Castle. Additionally, historian Alison Weir has written that the events in the letter seem to be basically true, and she argues that the letter, at the very least, exonerates Isabella of ordering the execution of her husband. Historian Ian Mortimer considers the content of the letter to be accurate, at least broadly so. He has written, quote, 
Before the discovery of the Fieschi letter in the 1870s, no one doubted that Edward II died in Berkeley Castle, and thus it was a fact proven beyond reasonable doubt. Nevertheless, the matter could not have been considered proven absolutely, as it was always possible that some evidence would come to light to show that he did not die there. He argues that it was actually Roger Mortimer and Isabella who ultimately ordered the deposed king to be secretly released. That's right. Released, not murdered. His understanding of the letter's narrative is that Edward II's death was faked, and that falsehood was carried on by his son, Edward III. Keep quiet about your father's faked death, or... Hmm. This also dovetails with the idea of blackmail, although that's not on the minds of all contemporary historians sorting through these new ideas. Because Fieschi later became Bishop of Vercelli and received several appointments from King Edward III, a number of historians now wonder if this letter was blackmail, perhaps blackmail that would threaten the young king's reputation and also demand he pay some debts to the Fieschi family. Historian Alison Weir has pointed out that Edward III didn't, as far as we know, respond immediately to the letter or make any payments to the Fieschi family. So if it was blackmail, he was not in a hurry about it. And if it was blackmail, she suggests that maybe it just wasn't a very good attempt at it. The idea that Edward was not executed has a few interesting points surrounding it. That includes the trial of Sir Thomas Berkeley, whose father-in-law happened to be Roger Mortimer. Berkeley was charged before Parliament with Edward II's murder in 1330, and the letter opens new questions regarding his case. The record of the court proceedings states his testimony was that he, quote, never authorized, assisted, or procured the king's death and knew nothing about it until this present Parliament. In fact, there were several earls, the Archbishop of York, the Bishop and Mayor of London, and numerous other lords and sheriffs who, as contemporaries to King Edward II, behaved as though the king had not been murdered at Berkeley Castle. Had they been in cahoots with Roger Mortimer? Over the years, many fingers have pointed at that man for ordering the king's death. Roger had been executed by the time the letter was written but he had been a very powerful man with powerful allies who remained loyal to him. Were they keeping up a false narrative about the king's death? Was blackmail keeping people from telling the truth about Edward's death? These are pieces of a puzzle yet to be completed. Perhaps because we've had a previous season talking about imposters, or maybe just because it has interesting possibilities, we didn't want to wrap this story without circling back to William the Welshman the imposter we mentioned earlier who may have inspired the Fieschi letter. William was living in Germany in the 1330s, claiming to be Edward II. What's interesting about William is that some now wonder if maybe he wasn't really an imposter. Royal records account for Edward III at Koblenz in 1338. That was a visit to seal an alliance with the German Emperor Louis of Bavaria. That was a trip where he is also believed to have met with William the Welshman. The Fieschi letter accounts for this visit and that Edward had William escorted to Antwerp. William was never heard from again, and new ideas into Edward II's death suggest that perhaps it was he who was posing as William, and it was in Germany when his son put him in private residence where he lived out the remainder of his days. 
Edward III sending William slash maybe his father to Antwerp is also an interesting link to the letter's suggestion that he stay quiet about his father's whereabouts. There's not a lot of detail in the historical record to make this an open and shut case, and we probably asked more questions here than we've answered. But the Fieschi letter sure does place events at a new angle. Would you like a coercion concoction while we contemplate this? Yes. What do you have in mind? Okay, so I wanted to do something that was um, a little bit of a variation on an established cocktail, but also is a little more complex because of the many complexities of this story. So before we do anything, we're going to make some syrup. This is a very delicious syrup. So uh, here's how you make it. You're going to take a cup of water, a cup and a half of brown sugar, two Earl Grey tea bags, of course, to represent England's part in all this, and one diced pear. And you're going to throw them in a pot together in a saucepan and let them get to the point where they simmer. Turn it down to low, simmer it for about 10 minutes. You can let it steep longer if you want to your call, and then you're going to strain it out. Here's what I did. I took out the tea bags, strained out the pears, and then kept those yummy, sweet, kind of jellied pears. This is also a good way to use up a pear that's just past perfect raw eating status, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's not as crisp to the bite as you would want, but it's still delicious and sweet and there's nothing wrong with it. Perfect to use for a syrup. And, you know, because France is involved and pears are very much associated with French food, I thought it would be a nice thing to to bring them into the party. So this is an Earl Grey and pear syrup. Aside from what we're doing with this drink today, I recommend putting this on ice cream, putting it in, you know, your soda, throwing it in any drink that calls for syrup because it is very yummy without being overwhelming. I was thinking that same thing. This syrup right here, just we could end right here. I'm good. (laughs) We're done. If you want to kick it up, you can also add a little bit of cinnamon while it's simmering. And that just makes it a very warm, yummy thing. It's great. Anyway, we are going to now make more or less an amaretto sour. But we're changing up some of the proportions a little to give this syrup a little more play. I will say, if you look up amaretto sour, there are a lot of different recipes for it, like different proportions of things. But there's a pretty perfected one that goes around a lot. This is a little different, like I said, because we want the syrup to have steak in the party. So this is an egg white recipe. If you don't like egg white, you can skip it. But come on, what are you doing? I've come around. I have, you know, you can too. (laughs) So you're going to start with your egg white, about a half an ounce. I think mine was a little more because I just took the egg white from an egg. I didn't measure it out and it got very frothy on me. So I think I had a little too much, but it was delicious. One egg white or a half ounce, three quarters of an ounce of your Earl Grey pear syrup, an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice. Three quarters of an ounce of bourbon. I used a a kind of smoky bourbon that I really like. And then like an ounce and a quarter of amaretto liqueur. Normally in an amaretto sour, you would have more amaretto, but we're dialing it back a little bit and dialing up the syrup amount a little bit to do that balance. And you're going to dry shake this first or use your frother because you want your egg white to get nice and puffy and frothed up. And then after you've done that, throw your ice in and give it a good shake so it gets really, really cold. And then you can strain it or even double strain it if you want a really smooth, silky texture. I put mine over ice, like just a a big old ice cube. 
and it's so yummy and it's complex. You taste it and it doesn't quite taste like what an amaretto sour should taste like. It doesn't taste far off from it, but your palate can tell Mm -hmm. that something's different. And then the finish has like the really strong pear and citrus notes come out. It's like the surprise of a letter coming that changes (laughs) everything you thought you knew. You thought you were drinking an amaretto sour, but then you're like, wait, wait, something is very different here. That's what it is. I am calling this the hidden monarch because I love the idea that they squirreled away Edward II somewhere else. To make this a mocktail, we're going to change things up just a little bit. Instead of doing the amaretto liqueur and the bourbon, you're going to make a cup of this tea, but you only need two ounces. You're going to make a cup of any black tea that has an almond note in it. Oh, okay. And then you'll do everything else the same. So you'll still have your ounce of lemon juice. You'll still have your three quarters of an ounce of your pear and Earl Grey syrup, your egg white. If you are doing an amaretto sour, your garnishes are going to be things like lemon twists or brandied Mm -hmm. cherries. But I really think it's a great one to keep aside when you make your syrup. I should have said this at the top, but I'm presuming. No one has run out and chopped a pear in the time we've been talking. (laughs) Take a couple of your pieces of diced pear, roll them in a little brown sugar and skewer them on your pick and put that in your drink. It makes a perfect garnish for this one. Yum, yum, yum. That is the hidden monarch. (laughs) And it's very yummy. It's it's unlike a lot of drinks that, that I feel like we've had on the show. And it sounds delicious. This Earl Grey pear syrup to me is just, I I have to go try that right now. It is very yummy. I'm telling you, that over vanilla ice cream is like, forget it. It's so good. (laughs) If you want to use it for something like that for dessert uses or even on pancakes or waffles. Yeah. See, there's just, it's for everything. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to do it like that, you're going to want a slightly thicker syrup. So I would suggest adding a little more sugar. You can add more brown sugar or you can combine it with a little bit of white sugar to get that syrupy consistency. And then the sky's the limit. You could just put it on anything and everything. You could like literally do like a baked pear and put some on there with it. Because the Earl Grey does something just really beautiful Mm -hmm. once it simmers down with the fruit and everything. You get the sense of Earl Grey without it tasting like tea. I don't know quite how to describe it. It tricks your brain a little bit, which is kind of nice. I hope that if you make a Hidden Monarch, you enjoy it. I sure did. If you make a syrup like that, uh, generally advisable to store it in an airtight container in the fridge. They'll last a couple weeks, maybe a little more. But, you know, let's play it safe and not not consume anything that might have secret mold spores growing in it. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) But it won't matter because you're going to use it so fast on everything you touch. Yes. We hope that you have had an enjoyable time discussing this wild ride of Edwards II and Thirds. We will be right back here next week with another tale of blackmail, probably intrigue, and hopefully a delicious beverage. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.